0: Hello, and welcome to Hope Church. We're a local church with chill style, real faith, and no perfect people allowed. Thanks for checking out our podcast. This is a message from our Soquel location in the Santa Cruz, California area. We hope this message is encouraging. If you live near either of our locations, we'd love to have you join us for one of our many Sunday services.
1: Good morning. Welcome to all of you. Uh, some of you might be here this morning and you haven't been to church in a while, or maybe ever. And you're like, what are all these people so excited about? Well, you're going to find out. You're going to find out in just a minute. We are really excited to be, um, uh, w- well, by the way, my name is Chris Matley, and I'm the senior associate pastor of this church that meets in three different locations. Um, we meet in Scotts Valley and in Aptos and then right here. be a little bit biased, but this is my favorite place to worship uh, with you guys. Um, don't, don't, don't tell anyone else that. Um, right here in Soquel, if you don't know that, if, if you don't know this, um, we, we pastor as a team. My, my wife, Amy, and I, and Tim and Nicole Coleman, and Savannah and Justin, and we, we pastor this location as a team. And as a team, let me just say, happy Easter. We're so glad you're here, and we're, we're really glad to be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus uh, together. It, how many here were, were uh, present for our, on Friday for our paddle out down at the beach in Capitola? Yeah, most most of us. Um, if you were like me during the day, knowing that event was coming on Friday, looking out the window at the weather, you thought maybe this is just me, but I thought it's not going to happen and nobody's going to come. Like it was so bleak and dark and drizzly, and the clouds were overcast, and it was it was dark. Uh, people did come, by the way. If you weren't there, it was it was fantastic, and uh, the word uh, was shared and. Um, there was a great worship band, and, um, and people paddled out and remembered the death of Jesus. Um, but isn't that very much the way? On Friday, you never would have imagined that we would have such a beautiful day. And it's beautiful. If you were outside on your way here, you noticed this, this day was beautiful, right? And it's very much the way um, that the story that we're celebrating is that Friday, it looked bleak. It did. Jesus had been crucified, and his followers were scattered, and most people observing on Friday would have thought the whole thing and never would have imagined what would be happening on Sunday. But here we are on Sunday, and so we're going to celebrate uh, the resurrection of, of Jesus this morning. Um, when I was a kid, when I was about uh, 12 years old, I, I went down with my—I I started earning an allowance, and, um, and I went down to the— uh, the grocery store and they used to do you remember when there used to be comic book racks on a spindle Do you remember this yeah anyone uh four year over probably remembers this and i went down and i bought a couple issues of i remember it was uh iron man and the incredible hulk and i just fell in love with comic books i just i just loved the stories and the and i started collecting them and then comic book stores became a thing in the 90s if you don't if you weren't a part of it you don't probably don't remember that but there were comic book stores where you could go and that's like all they sold and I started really getting into it. And that's where I would spend all my money. And I remember this one summer, I just got really into it. Because you could go, and, and they became very collectible. You could turn me down, maybe just a hair, just a, just a notch. Um, I'll get louder as we go. Um, they were very collectible. Here's the thing is, you could go to the store with $1.75 and buy a comic book. And then the next week, you'd show up and see it up on the wall for like $20. So, I mean... I'm not exactly a Wheeler and Dealer, but at 12 years old, I saw the return on investment, you know, and I just so I start so when a when a number one issue would come out, I'd buy like two of them. So. Uh, or Superman number 75, which was the death of Superman. Most of you here n- have no idea what I'm talking about, but it was released in two different versions. There was one that was polybagged in a, in a sleeve. I'm getting really nerdy right now. It was, in a, it was in a sleeve, and it just had a black Superman logo on it, and then there was another one that was released open so you could read it. I got the polybagged one and left it sealed, right? Because I thought this, someday, Mike, I'm going to sell this, and i'm going to buy a house with a pool <laughs> okay i believed that with my whole body i believed it you know and i you know i organized them and put them in this little sleeve i mean cuz a house with a pool like when you were a kid, 12 years old did you ever go to your friend's house and they had a pool you know and then you come home and you kind of look at your dad like bro you got to up your game <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> you know what i'm saying so i just thought house with a pool this is what i'm This is what I'm going to hang on to. So, this one summer, I'd gotten a little bit of a collection. I had a a couple boxes full of these, and they're all organized and safe in these little poly bags and everything. This one summer, I went to summer camp. I went away to summer camp with my friends, and my mom cleaned my room while I was gone. And she thought, oh, Chris has read all of these before, and she threw them all away. And I came home, and I was like, oh, my room is so different, and where the heck... Are my comics? You know, they're gone, and um, I didn't speak to her for about a week, and naturally, and uh, I was devastated. I felt like I had lost everything. Like every, you know, because remember, in my mind, like there were things in there that were going to pay my way through college and buy my first house. You know what I'm saying? That was like my reality, and all of it was gone, and and um, you know, it was it was just like I had lost everything. And now, as a 45 year old, I look back and. You know, I mean, that's a little bit trivial now, but the reality is there are, there are most of us could probably point to an experience in your life where you felt like everything had come to an end, like you'd lost everything, that the paradigm of your life had been turned over. And this is the reality for us, is that um, there are seasons where we lose important things. It's part of being a human being, right? It's part of the experience of being alive and on this planet. And sometimes when that happens, we lose sight of what our real purpose is um and so um you know and it was only with hindsight that we look back and see that oftentimes god uses those experience, uh, experiences you know that that superman issue number 75 that came in the poly bag with the logo on it you know how much it's worth today 25 cents <laughs> yeah because they made a crap load of them that's why <laughs> no one's buying houses and pools so you know it's it's perspective that kind of gives us the uh uh, uh the right Uh, the right way to look at those things. Um, So here's the thing. We're starting a new series today on Easter Sunday that's going to carry us over the next just few weeks. And the series is called Real Purpose. And what we're doing is we're looking at the words of Jesus after the resurrection. He had several conversations with his friends and followers, several Jesus sightings, if you will. And those conversations are a goldmine for us as we read through them. And so that's what we're going to do over the next few weeks. Um... Uh, but we're kicking it off today with one particular, probably one of my favorites. Um, and this, this happens to be in John, the Gospel of John. So there's four Gospels, right, at the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So if you have a Bible or you have a Bible app and you want to turn there to follow along, you can do that. We'll also have it up on the screen. This is John chapter 20, verse 1. John chapter 20, verse 1. I want to take a second, though, before we start reading this and acknowledge the reality that many of us probably have arrived here with different sets of context and knowledge. And the Gospel of John assumes that you know things when you read it. If you read the Gospel of John, you can tell the author, uh, who is John, wrote it at a late date. You can tell that he assumes that you've probably read the other accounts. Of the stories of Jesus. And so he assumes your knowledge. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to assume that you know things. So, so before we start in John chapter 20, verse 1, let me just tell you what happened right before. Jesus died. He was crucified. The Romans murdered him on a cross. And he was buried in the ground on a Friday. He had a ministry that had lasted roughly about two and a half to three years. And he had many followers, uh, the ones we know the names of and many that we don't. And these followers were scattered. They were devastated. Jesus did not plainly say, hey, they're going to kill me, but don't worry. Three days later, I'm coming back. We know this story now. They did not. They were devastated. It was over. Then John chapter 20 happens. So let's pick up in verse, uh, verse 1. We're going to start reading here in just a second here. Um, you know, as we talk about this, I want you to, to remember, um, just contextually, that the death of Jesus, his crucifixion on a cross, is one of, if not the most well-documented historical events, both within the context of Scripture and outside of it very well documented. There are very few people working in academia today that would tell you, that study these things, that would tell you that Jesus was not crucified. This this happened. It's a historical event. But the resurrection of Jesus three days later is also very well attested. There's at least 14 different uh, eyewitness testimonies about his um, his appearing before people, including one group of five hundred people. That's fantastic. Can you imagine knowing someone that was dead? I mean, seeing their body, knowing that they had been executed, and then he just appears in front of five hundred people. That'd be that would be a difficult thing to keep a secret, right? And for Christians, for people that have been following Jesus, I said a minute ago, you know we're all we all seem pretty happy, pretty excited to be singing these songs and celebrating this. It's everything. The resurrection is everything to us. There is no Christianity without the resurrection. And and here's why. Here's the thing. Throughout history, I like history a lot. I've read a bunch of it. I like it. There's lots of instances where brave men or women have died for something they believed in. There's instances where brave men or women have died for other people sacrificially. It's happened a bunch. If that's all there was to the story of Jesus, he would just be one in in a sea of many people that had done the same thing. Here's where Jesus is different. He didn't stay dead. On the third day, he rose from the grave under his own power. He conquered death so that we would know that everything he had been saying for three years was true. And that we could testify to its truth. You know, we live in a moment in history and in culture when people are, they're very attracted to a pluralist. Uh, pluralistic worldview, and I understand why. It's very friendly to say your truth and my truth, and for some, the message of Jesus, it comes across as very exclusive. But here's why. He's the only person in history who can claim to have conquered the power of death under his own power. All right, let's pick up in John chapter 20, verse 1. Here we go. You guys Ready? This is a good story. This is a good story. You guys ready? All right, here we go. Verse 1. Early on the first day of the week. So what's the first day of the week for us? Monday, yeah. But for the Jewish calendar, the first day of the week was? Sunday. That's right. Early on the first day of the week on Sunday, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. And she saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. I want to show you a picture that I took. Um, In Jerusalem. Uh, This is a picture I took when I went there with my dad. Uh, So up here on the hillside is one of the probably most likely locations uh, for the the death of Jesus. This hill right here is likely that hill Golgotha. It's a good place if, if you're Romans and you want to post people up on a cross as a warning to others because there was a road that passed right between the walls of Jerusalem right down here. Um, and then just to the left here, what you can't see in the photo is I'm standing in a location that they call the garden tomb. There's an empty tomb there. Um, and it appears as if a large stone had been carved. The stone is gone, but it appears as if a large stone had been carved and, and rolled back and forth in front of this tomb. It's a very, historically, it's one of the likely locations uh, for the, the empty tomb of Jesus. Down there at the bottom right, you can see that there's a bus station there now. So, yeah. A little bit of modern life with, uh, with ancient uh, history there. I want you to get a visual of that because I, I, I want to remind you that this, is, this really happened. This is a real place. These are real people. This really happened. This isn't just a story, it's a great story. It's also history. All right, verse two it says So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved. And she said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. And we don't know where they have put him. So what was, her, what was her testimony? They've stolen the body. They've stolen the body. A likely thing to think when you look into a grave and see that there's no body there. They've stolen the body. And she ran to tell um, two of Jesus' very closest friends, Simon Peter. And then it says the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved. This is John. This is the way John talks about himself in his own gospel. He never names himself. He just refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. Okay, John, we get it. <laughs> we get it. You, you remember, um, uh, the so before the crucifixion, uh, what happened? There's a famous meal. Do you remember the story of this meal? It's the Last Supper. Yeah, that's right. And, and where did they get that room? They rented a room. So Jesus had a couple of his friends rent out a big, a kind of a meeting hall. Imagine, like, a probably a space not unlike this one, a public space. Can I, Can we rent this for a little while? And they just kind of never left. I don't know if they kept paying the rent on it or not, but they just they, it just became their home base. Once Jesus um, had been crucified, they just stayed. In fact, they stayed there, as far as we know, they stayed all the way through Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came, right? So this is where Jesus, so Mary runs back to tell uh, Peter, and John. And it says, so Peter and the other disciple, John, uh, started for the tomb. Now both were running, but the other disciple, this is John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. This is such a, why did John have to include that? It's like, (laughs) only a man writing would write something like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Peter and I were running. I got there first. You know, (laughs) I just, I felt like it needed to be mentioned. Uh, I got there first. You ever see, like, have you ever been in Home Depot and you, like, I, I, one time I pulled into the parking lot in my small Nissan pickup, and then this guy pulls in this, like, even bigger truck and just kind of looks down at me like, yeah, my truck's bigger, and I'm like, what is it about men? We feel like we have to do this. I don't know. Um, so, yes, John got there first, then Peter. It says John, he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen uh, lying there, but he didn't go in. He's a good Jewish boy. um. John, uh, it, it was very, um, so in the Jewish custom, it would have been very frowned upon to have anything to do with a dead body. You don't wanna to touch their clothes or even the places that they've touched. Um, you'd be ceremonially unclean. This is, this is actually very uh, expected that John didn't go in but just kind of peeked in. Simon Peter, however, came along behind him and he pushed John out of the way and went straight into the tomb because that's, that's, that's Peter, right? He doesn't care. He just wants to get in there And he he saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been uh, wrapped around Jesus' head. And the cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. In other translations, it says it was folded up because Jesus was a good Jewish boy too. And he he listened to his mother when (laughs) she said, always remember to leave a place tidy. Um, He folded up the cloth. The cloth was lying in its place separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple... Who had reached the tomb first also went inside. Yeah, we get it, John. Here's here's what it says. It says he saw and believed. Now I've read a bunch of um, commentaries on this, and most biblical commentaries and scholars agree that when it says he saw and believed, it means that John saw the empty tomb and believed in a resurrected Jesus for the first time. Now. I'm gonna very humbly set myself apart from all of those thinkers, many of whom are much smarter than me. I don't think that's what it's saying. And I'll tell you why. It says, he saw and believed. Let's go back to what Mary had said. What was her testimony? What was her testimony to John and to Peter? What did she tell them? They've stolen the body. I think he looked in the empty tomb and he believed her. They have, they've stolen the body. They've stolen the body. And you know, for 2,000 years, critics and skeptics of the resurrection story have been saying, well, the more likely scenario is they've stolen the body. And I understand why people think that. Because to believe someone rose from the dead is fantastic. In fact, even two of Jesus' closest friends looked in an empty hole in the ground and said, they must have stolen the body. They didn't understand from scripture, it said, that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So the disciples went back to where they were staying. So Peter and John saw an empty hole in the ground, said, thanks, Mary, for showing us an empty hole in the ground. And they went back, went back to the upper room and continued waiting. This is, for many of us, this is often exactly where we find ourselves, in this intersection between, it's a location, right, between fear and doubt and faith and belief. Have you ever had a conversation with yourself in your mind and in your heart and you said, I just I want to believe but I have these doubts. That's actually very normal. These are Jesus' closest friends and they saw the hole in the ground and said, someone must have stolen the body. You know That should give you comfort. In verse 11 it says, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. So she stayed, they left. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. I wonder if Peter and John had stayed, if they would have been able to see the same thing. Mary stayed, though, and she saw these two angels, and they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. So she's still sticking with the they've stolen the body thing, even though there's two angels sitting there. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. There's a couple of possible reasons for this. I mean, some people say, well, she was overcome with emotion. Mostly men say that. Um, you'll notice. Um, uh, another possibility is that um, she was inside the tomb, and therefore she could see the angels. And the way the tomb is constructed, with most of them were, is there are steps that go down. So if you were standing inside and looking up, you would only be able to see from about the waist down someone standing outside of it. Um, so maybe she didn't recognize Jesus because uh, all she saw was his feet. Um, another reason, uh, and this one compels me, is that... Um, she had experienced the greatest sorrow and tragedy of her life three days before. So she wasn't prepared to find out that it wasn't what she thought. She wasn't ready for hope. That's very relatable to me, and I think for some of us here, it's probably relatable that sometimes God wants to inject new hope into what seems like a hopeless situation. The irony is we're so comfortable with our sorrow, that we're not ready for it when it comes. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. She said, sir, if you'd carried him, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. You can hear the sorrow in Mary's voice, right? And the tragedy is that for many of us, the the purpose that is found in Jesus is standing right in front of us. And not everyone will perceive it. Here's what Jesus had to say to that person then, and I believe what he has to say to you right now. Jesus said to her, Mary. I think maybe for some of you today, he's calling your name. He's saying your name. If you, if you have ears to hear, he's calling your name. We don't know a lot about Mary Magdalene um, from the stories. There's lots of traditions that have been built around her. You've probably heard things. Uh, you've probably heard things about her. Most of those things just come from uh, stories and traditions found outside of the Bible. One, one thing that we do know is that this story here and that she was um, an early and passionate follower of Jesus, and um, that he delivered her. Uh, There's a euphemism there, uh, or it may even be literal, that, that he cast seven demons out of her. She was plagued by some kind of past, and he rescued her from it. And when he said her name, I have to believe that she felt seen and known and loved. In that moment. Charles Spurgeon said, Jesus can preach a one word sermon and nail it with one word. Mary, he said. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic. Everybody's cool and speaking in Greek until the rubber meets the road, right? And then we started speaking Aramaic. She called out in Aramaic and said, Rabboni, Rabboni, which means teacher. can also mean Lord. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet. And that, that, um, the English there is, is tricky. It, it, um, the Greek there means do, don't wrap your arms around my legs. Don't cling to me. So she was likely on the ground. Rabboni, holding his robe. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead. She gives, he gives her a mission. Go instead and tell my brothers tell them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father and to my God and to your God. Now Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had seen these things um, and he'd said these things to her. I wanted to give you a visual of just the location, the physical location um, of where Mary would be. Um, So this is uh, a, an artist's kind of construction of Jerusalem at the time of Jesus. Now, the layout is actually very similar to what it is today. That's how we can create something like this very easily. The, the Dome of the Rock is now where Herod's temple was up there. Uh, most people live down here on the southern, this kind of triangle, the southern part of Jerusalem. Uh, the, the upper room the likely location for the upper room is somewhere in this neighborhood right down here. Yep, Uh, that's where they rented the upper room. Somewhere right in there. Um, And we know that because partly because uh, the day of Pentecost, some 50 days after this event or so on, uh, maybe 90 days, uh, they walked down to the gate that's found just to the kind of north of where I'm pointing right there uh, to preach and 3,000 were saved that day, right? So this is the likely location of the upper room. Now I wanna, I wanna show you where Mary is right now in this conversation, and that's that's over here, the Garden Tomb. It's actually just off the map and on that hillside. So surrounding up here, up by the top and to the left is the Mount of Olives, Mount of Olives. Um, and that, that Garden Tomb is over there. Now I've, I've walked this distance a couple of times, um, and I would say, best case scenario, you're probably talking about a 30 or 40 minute. Now, it says that she ran, though. So let's, let's be generous and say 20, 25 minutes. So think about this. This is Christianity's most fragile moment right now. For the 20 or so minutes that it took for Mary to get from there to her friends, she was the only Christian on the planet. a church of one. This is what I think about. I think, what if she'd tripped and fallen? There's a lot of staircases and narrow passageways. What if she fell and hit her head and died? I'm a bit morbid that way. I just, that, I thought of that. For 20 minutes, there was one Christian on the planet. And she carried within her the most important information in all of human history. The most important message ever entrusted to one woman. And this is the second time in a very short period of time where a woman named Mary would hold the fate of the entire world in her hands. Why did Jesus do it this way? I ask myself when I read these stories, I just think, I would not have done it this way. I take precautions, I plan. I'm careful. Why did Jesus make himself so vulnerable? And I think, I think it's because he trusted Mary. He trusted her. He who began a good work in her would would see it through to the finish. And I think for some of us here, we need this story. Because there are things that we've been entrusted to carry that have felt like burdens. They felt like more than we can bear. And he's saying today, I have trusted you with that. It's not a burden. It's not a curse. I've trusted you. And I'm going to go with you. You know, there seems to be something that God does inside of gardens, doesn't there? Um, You know, Jesus, just three days before, in the story, we know that he did not hang on a cross by himself. There were two people, right, two thieves with him on either side, also being crucified uh, for their crimes. And one of them was heckling him. He found time in his busy schedule of being crucified to heckle the guy next to him. Uh, What a way to go out. I mean, and the other thief says, he tells him, he goes, don't do that. Do you know who this is? And he turns to Jesus and he says the only, probably the most important words in his whole life. And he says, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? He acknowledged who Jesus was. He acknowledged his belief that Jesus' story was not going to end that day on that cross, even if his was. Do you remember what Jesus turned and told him? He said, surely I tell you this day, you will be with me in paradise. The Greek is paradiso, the garden, you will be with me in the garden. God is doing something in gardens. It's no coincidence. That, you know, so we've been reading this. Uh, if you've been with us earlier this year, we've been reading through the Sermon on the Mount, and it's like Jesus is pointing to this brand new way. All the time, he's saying, he said, the new way is my followers will be this and not that, right? They'll, they'll, they'll live selflessly and not selfish." They'll put others ahead of themselves. They're going to love their enemies. This seems to us like a brand new way because it's so radical. But here we see it's not. He's also, he's pointing forward, but he's also pointing to the ancient past. He's saying it was not this way from the beginning. There was a place that we were made for and that was made for us. You'll notice I've used the word a couple of times here, restored. It's I'm being careful about that word, restored, because um, it's not just that he's doing something new. It's that he's birthing back into the world through us something very, very old, God's intended recipe for the planet. Do you remember what? He charged Mary with with a message that he charged her with to take. He said, Tell my brothers, I'm ascending to my Father and to your Father and to my God and now to your God. Because there is now nothing that stands between the living God, the creator of the universe, and you because of what I've done. That was the message. The resurrection is the gospel. It's the good news that Jesus conquered death so that death would not stand between us and our loving Father. That's good news. Right. Yeah. This is the, the, the big truth that I wanted to leave with you today. Uh, we're going to worship again in just a minute, but this is the big truth, is that real purpose flows from a restored identity. And when we read this story, if we really engage with the story, what's being offered here is a restored identity. Living in this world... So often, the sorrows and the tragedies of this world rob us of our identity. But what Jesus is doing, he's going around, and he's looking at you. Like he looked at Mary, and he said, Mary, and he restored her identity. He's looking at you today, and he's restoring your identity one by one. He's calling your name. You were this, but you are now mine. Starting today. And that's what happens. We, in finding Jesus, our identity is restored, our true identity. And in following Jesus, we're released into our real purpose, which is, what, what did he tell Mary? Go and tell your brothers. This is our real purpose, to experience something so amazing and then turn and go and tell others. So they may come to believe not all the same things that we believe about how to live and what to do and what not to do. That's not what we're, that's not our purpose. It's so that they may come to believe that they are also seen and known and loved and invited into something more and better.
0: We hope this message encouraged you to take the next steps in your relationship with God. The cool thing is that you don't have to do it alone. There are a lot of ways you can get connected here at Hope. Not only do we want you to feel at home at Hope, we'd love to help you find hope. Please check out discoverhope.church and click connect or just email us at info at discoverhope.church Lastly, we give everything we can away for free and rely 100% on volunteers and donations to support this ministry. If you'd like to give to the Mission of Hope Church, you can select the Give option on our website or text any amount to 831-800-2060. Thanks again for tuning in.